Academy Award for the best performance of an actress in supporting roles during 1939 to Hattie McDaniel. hear half of America going, oh, no. Oh, come on, why her again, you know? But whatever. Bernard <laughs> Fields for Joe's. And the winner is... Well, the time has come. Catherine Bigelow! I talked to each of the stars, described the color of the set, and discussed with them the color they're going to wear, the silhouette, so we try to get a differentiation of costume in all of the actresses. You must remember that this is the one time that an actress presents herself as her own image, not a character in the film. Now, the Academy does not tell a star what she can or cannot wear. Did you enjoy your week in New York City? You know I did, Katie, and I wasn't sure I would at first. New York is, of course, home to the liberal media elite, but Todd and the kids had a great time going to the Central Park and and the FAO Schwarz and that goofy evolution museum. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Characters of Culture. I am your host, Rob Fishbeck, and with me always to my right or left, depending on how you're doing things, is Lego, who this show would not be possible without Lego, let's be honest, and who will be taking the lead on today's episode where we talk about women in entertainment, women in specifically more Hollywood uh, film and television and all that good stuff. Um, I am just a mere moron when it comes to most of these things, as I am most of the time with other things as well. So I'll shut the fuck up now. What's going on? <laughs> Hello. I'm very excited for this. Oddly enough, you were the one who wanted to do this one, and I kind of didn't want to. So here we are. We need a 34-slide PowerPoint and a bunch of shark charts. I almost said sharks. I didn't make any sharks. I would like to sharks make a shark. I should make a shark. Anyway, that's beside the point. I am here and prepared to talk about film and television and uh, women who make them and are in them, but mostly make them because that's kind of where I 
prefer to look at things personally. That's a good way to be. Um, yes, for those of you listening, uh, this actually was my idea. Like, shit, probably back in January when we were going out, like going through like, oh, we'll do this one this week, this one, yada, yada, yada. And we kind of like set ourselves up to April and then uh, starting next month, um, it might not be the next show, but two shows from now, we are going to start our decades series, starting with the early days of Hollywood and then 20s, 30s, 40s, so on and so on. Uh, we'll definitely break it up. We'll maybe do like two and then we'll do like a week of something else. And then, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I did suggest this one, uh, mostly cause I figured it would be easier to find, uh, material to kind of, uh, structure a show off of. Um, and we we're actually talking about this backstage before we went live. And I said to Lego, I go, you know, to be honest with you, I was excited. Cause I just kind of thought in my head, like, Oh, I want to learn about this stuff as well because I know what I know. I know some of the important figures and all that sort of stuff. I can name me a bunch of actresses. But I was like, oh, cool. I'll watch like three or four hours worth of documentaries and take some notes and we can kind of come up with a skeleton. And I'm not going to lie. There's not a lot of information out there about you go on YouTube and type in powerful women in Hollywood, history of women in Hollywood women in Hollywood and you'll find this video, but you ain't going to find a lot of others. So no, uh, that is for a few reasons. Um, in terms of early Hollywood, a lot of times, uh, well, women were just kind of barred from making things. Uh, we'll talk a little more about what women were allowed to do, particularly like editing, but in terms of like directing cinematography, um, women weren't really allowed to do that. They could act. That's really about it. Act and edit. That's those were women's roles. Pretty, that's, yeah. You know, not my, um, my not my words, but yes. Yeah, but if you want to go back to our you know dark side of Hollywood video, we went very far in depth for that. Um, but also when women were allowed to do things like direct and write and and that sort of things, particularly in early Hollywood, but also in Europe as well, they often weren't given credit for having done so. I can think of one f woman who had made a film and even co-founded a studio. And on the release of one of the movies she made, her husband was also a director. He was listed as the director for the movie instead of her. Um, so I have here a list, not a McCarthy kind of list, um, but a list of books that I have read or at least excerpts, if not the entire book. And these are all about women, mostly in women in cinema, but also about particularly mostly for horror movies. And there's also some about queer cinema, but I've definitely read a lot about this topic. Um, so I am prepared to rant. Also, I have charts. Did I mention charts? I'm here for the charts. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot. One of the books I read was "Women Make Horror." Obviously, this is centered more towards horror movies, but it does extend to every genre of film and television. Wherein this is a book that looks at not talking about what horror movies women have made, but but going back and historically looking at how women weren't given credit for what they made and the importance that they played. And I'll kind of start with this woman right here who is super, super important. I hope I pronounce her name correctly. It's Alice Guy Blanchet. And she is, it. they believe, 
Oh, I hope my internet didn't die. Uh, they believe. Okay. She's considered to be the first person to ever make a narrative film. Like ever? Yes. So, so it was women did it first. Her. You heard it here, folks. Women did it first. So it was either her or these uh, brothers in France, in France, the Lumiere brothers. They're oh, yeah. not really sure. It's kind of, you know, going back to like 1896 or 95, it's a little difficult to tell. Um, so she either kind of made it kind of chronologically coinciding with them or there either was a little no IMDb back then, kids. Yeah. yeah. But she basically created the first ever movie, probably, which is amazing. She was also the first woman to ever have a studio. Uh, what wasn't the first studio, but she was the first woman to have a studio. So when it comes to, you know, just the existence of films, women were pretty, you know, like important. Oh, the first movie, by the way, I think it was called The Cabbage Fairy. And it was, uh, it wasn't about a Cabbage Patch Kid, but that's what I'm saying it's about. But I guess it was like well, a, a kind of a thing. Wouldn't it be about movie? like, because well, you got to figure like 1800s in Europe, because that didn't sound like an American name. So they're probably in Europe somewhere. It's France. Yeah. You know, they're all poor, desolate, living in the country, you know. So it's like, oh, one day a fairy will come and give us some cabbage. And no, I, I read specifically she had babies in the film. So I'm calling oh, it a okay. cabbage, patch, cabbage Patch Kid movie. She apparently also created pa Cabbage Patch Kids. That's not oh, true. Really? I'm just saying that to be funny. See, John, like what John's saying, Cabbage Fair, I'd watch that. Hell yeah. And it's like 1895, so the movie's only like two minutes long. Yeah, it wasn't like a feature-length film, but I just thought that was, I mean, talk about being important to film. Literally, it's the beginning of film. So women have always made movies. Um, it's actually interesting. I was reading, which book was I reading? Uh, shoot, I had to pull up my list. I was reading The Celluloid Ceiling. We all know what celluloid is, right? Celluloid's film. Yes. Okay. So celluloid, do you know what the glass ceiling is? Well, I've heard that in other contexts, but go, go ahead. So the glass ceiling, basically it's a invisible barrier that women can't break through to move higher up in the hierarchy of businesses. So like it's difficult for women to become CEOs, stuff like that. That's the glass ceiling. So the celluloid ceiling is that, but in the film industry. It's difficult for women to break into the film industry and to move up. I'll get more into those statistics in a minute. Um, but I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> um, You're talking about a book yes, you reading. the celluloid ceiling. And it said that as more and more studios got involved with filmmaking, it is, it is less likely that women were allowed to make films. So back in the day, like pre-studio era, more women were actually allowed to make movies. And in fact, studies show like legally that- legally allowed or just like, they just let them, you know? It was kind of like a, like a wild west sort of situation. Like yeah. they could make them, like there wasn't anything barring them from doing so. In certain right. countries, even today, there like there are barriers legally for women. Now, was, I was making a joke, but I just wanted to clarify. Um, yeah. But I, I did read, for instance, one thing I thought was interesting, that there are actually more female filmmakers in Iran than there are in the United States in terms of directors. So that's interesting. Like, wow. Yeah, so uh, I'll get into that later. But um, yeah, it's difficult for women to break into this industry and more the more investors there are, the less likely a woman will be allowed to be a director. And 
oftentimes it's language is very much an issue wherein you'll hear people say risk. A lot of times with movies, you hear the word risk. You know, this is too risky. When really they're saying, we don't trust a woman with $100 million. I'm reading a quote, by the way. Um, so, but that's, that's what they're really saying when they say these things. Like, they talk risk aversion, but really, they, it's just misogyny. And whether it's conscious or, you know, subconscious, I don't know. I'm probably the latter, but it's still some bullshit. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm not a conscious misogynist, but unconsciously, I probably probably get in trouble sometimes and yes so i have also read some of the celluloid closet it's kind of difficult to find the whole book but i will one day um but yes the celluloid ceiling is similar to the celluloid closet and it's also on my book my book list what uh what's your favorite horror movie from from the last 10 years i'm curious i mean come on a girl walks home alone at night so good by it's by an iranian director mm -hmm. yeah Oh, I haven't seen that. Is that on it's Netflix? an Iranian Western vampire movie. It's very good. I'm in. I'm in. I really liked an American Werewolf in London. I watched that in the fly in one night. Okay. okay. This movie's not really out like either of those, but okay. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to mention, well, I guess, yeah, I'll go straight into, well, I don't know what to talk about next. Let's I guess let's talk right about. Into it. I guess I'll just talk about directors. Let's so, do it. We'll so the DGA is the Directors Guild of America. And hang on, I want to try and find a number. Okay, so you have people who are specifically directors included in this, but also you have um, their teams like the unit production manager, assistant director, associate director, stage manager, and production assistants. Okay. So on one side, you can see outright directors. Um in the DGA for the years to the 2020, they hired, it looks like 18% uh, of the directors who made movies in the DGA uh, were women, 82% were men. And there's more in terms of teams. So if you're now not qualified as a team, uh, like I said, it's the unit production manager, assistant director, associate director, stage managers, and production associates. So you're a lot more likely to get women in those roles, but still only 25% to men 74%. And I just want to be a little clear in case we're, we're, we're not, we're confused about math. Uh, women make up 50% of the population. So it is 50-50. No, no, no. In, in, in the world, women make up 50% of the population. In directors, no, women are short-sighted. Yeah, there's 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 a discrepancy, a big gap. So it, it really is 50-50 out there, male and female. Um, well, generally it's considered I think 51% female, 49% male. There are a little a little bit more females in the world. Women than men. live longer. Um, okay. Anyway, and if you looked at uh, directors in the DGA, uh, women who were hired between 2019 and 2020, I'm sorry, this was uh, all time. The first one was all time. There are 18% women all, all in all time. Um, but women who were hired to make a movie between 2019 and 2020, 35% women, 65% men. Oh, and wow. this is definitely an uptick from previous years. And then um, when women, women are just running television at this point. 
That's no, no, no. That's, no, no. That's of the 35% of women who are hired to direct, most of which are hired to direct TV, it's rare that women get to direct movies to make sure that's, that's what that says. So okay. of the 65% of men who are hired to direct, I'm not sure what the breakdown between movies and TV were. But so it yeah. really goes back to your point with they would rather trust, a, again. They'd rather trust a dude with money. They'd rather trust a dude with $100 million than a woman, but they'll give a woman $5 million so they can make a TV show that women will watch like Grey's Anatomy. Uh, that's not necessarily always true. Um, I think we'll get... We'll get into that in one second. I'll bring that up. Sure. Um, and then I also want to talk about cinematography because that's I feel like that's really important. Um, of all the people who have ever been in the American, oh my God, what is it called? American Society of Cinematography, only 2.5% have been women since its existence. And then also I want to talk about writers. In 2020, 17% of writers were women, 83% were men and that's been kind of constant for the past you know few years so it's been relatively right. even right. um we'll get back to editors but i'll bring back around a question you asked because i think this kind of is interesting so i want to take a look at disney because disney runs most everything and as um, i, I want to say a few things real quick for one lego made a video that is on uh their channel her channel uh her link is in the description of this video. I got about halfway through it. I still got to the other half on Disney, some current events. It's fantastic. Highly recommend. Two, John Bainbridge watched the 50-second video of the woman pulling babies out of cabbages. That's awesome. I want to check that out. And number three, oh, yeah, tonight I'm always Rob, but I'm kind of playing the, the general audience. So I'm going to ask kind of more dumb questions and, than usual because – it kind of brings up some good points, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I will say for the writer numbers, it's film and television. So it's both. It's just anyone who wrote for anything. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I did. It was a, I called it Disney say gay. And I will say I called it that before the hashtag. So sometimes I do things. That's actually the first time I've ever done anything trendy. Anyway, moving on. So Disney, I wanted to say, um, the first ever movie a woman directed for Pixar was Brave. Okay. That, that was the first time. That movie came out in 2012. Um, the first, I uh, forgot her name. I wrote the names down. Um, and I can't find them. Why do I suck at everything? Anyway. Sexism uh, is real, kids. <laughs> yes. The first movie from Disney animated studio that a woman ever directed was also, uh, I think 2012 was frozen 2012. It was frozen. Frozen was 2012. Frozen. And the, the director of brave is Brenda Chapman. Yes. And the director of frozen is Jennifer Lee. The first ever MCU movie directed solo by a woman is eternals. Chloe Zhao. Um, I know, Captain America was directed by a woman. It was co-directed by a woman and a man, so I don't count that because it's still not a studio trusting Captain a woman with $100 million. So the first time a woman directed a Marvel movie was, that was last year, The Eternals. And then Star Wars, no woman has ever directed a Star Wars movie. They, I think, were talking, well, giving one to Patty Jenkins. Not sure. And I know Bryce Dallas Howard has directed some. 
TV. TV is not a movie, though. So no women have ever directed a Star Wars movie. Very quickly, let to fill everybody in on the uh, Star Wars situation. Um, no, uh, Kathleen Kennedy was signed. Not Kathleen Kennedy. Um, uh, Patty Jenkins was signed on to direct a Star Wars movie called Rogue Squadron. Okay. They filmed her hanging out by a big old jet, like straight out yep. Top Gun. And she's going on and going on and on. And they're, oh man, this could be a big movie, blah, 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 blah. And then let's be honest. Here's what happened. She had a probably unique vision for a film. And the studio came in and said, nah, we don't trust you with that. Too much money involved. And uh, now that movie's not happening. Oh, I didn't know that. So I was wrong about the Patty Jenkins thing. Uh, of course. Well, no, that, that was Patty Jenkins. It's Rogue Squadron. That's what she was supposed to direct. Um, yeah, but you just said it's not happening. <laughs> and though, and we talked about not pitting women against each other, but I partially blame Kathleen Kennedy for the situation again, seeing how she's running the Star Wars division and they can't seem to figure out the movie situation. That's all I'll say on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will say in terms of this, well, I mean, all of the, every single industry, let's be clear, every single industry. Nepotism is founded on nepotism. Uh, this is a study that shows that 72% of people who find careers after college, they do it because they know somebody. Uh, hey, in terms of like any particularly female, no, just anyone in general, any human being, like do what you can with what you got. If what you got is a famous daddy, work with it. Life sucks. Anything that makes it suck less, go for it. As long as you don't hurt anyone, who cares? But also she is talented. So, like, if that gets you in the door, you still have to prove yourself once you're there. And we, we've we seen, like, famous people's kids fail in Hollywood. So, like, that Many, many times. More often than successful. In fact, I saw, I think, I think it was Ben Stiller. I might be wrong. I believe, ben, I think it was Ben Stiller got into something. I was reading on a news article the other day, got into some argument with somebody on Twitter that was talking about nepotism. Because, of, of course, his dad's the very famous Jerry Stiller. Um, from Seinfeld. Uh, as a side note, Danny says Rogue Squadron is still on the schedule for December 2023. Interesting. Uh, Jeremy says it's in development hell, which that, I, we all know what that means. So. And some things, sometimes things just stay on the docket, even though they're probably not happening. Um, right yeah, on. moving on. Um, moving, moving in Women. a direction. Who's your favorite actress? Like all um, time. I don't know. I don't think I have one. I mean, like, does Elvira count? Absolutely. Well, the the woman. What's her name? Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra Peterson. But also, I mean, we have to talk about Betty White. Well, you want to talk about Betty White now? Yeah, we'll transition into Betty White. Um, So I was looking this up. Did you know that she's called the first woman of television? I believe that. Because every fucking show she was ever on, she like probably won an award for. Hang on, this is this is interesting. Okay. Um, I was looking it up and I read this thing and I read this thing and I thought, well, that can't be true. And I was looking it up and looking it up and I think it actually might be. Betty White was the first ever woman on television. No Maybe. shit. Maybe. No shit. Before Lucille Ball. Oh yeah. Before uh, Gracie Allen. Okay, so, so I was reading watch this. George Burns and Gracie Allen show. So it says supposedly Betty White was the first woman um, 
and she was on, hang on, I can't find the thing. She was on this like experimental television broadcast, I think in 1939. And that would have been, so the first woman to be like broadcast on television. Betty White was old and amazing and the best. That's why she was in the video (laughs) She was also one of Hollywood's first female producers. Um, she named her production company after her dog, which is cute, Bandy. I love it. Um, and also just being, yeah, famous and influential and winning so many Emmys and stuff. Like, yes. Oh, she was the first woman to produce a national TV show, the first woman to star in a sitcom, the first producer to hire a female director, and the first woman to receive an Emmy nomination. Yes. So with that, I also want to talk about a very famous show she was in. Thank you for being a friend. Ah, Golden Girls. So Golden Girls was a TV show run by a woman, Susan Harris. And it was very unique in that it was a woman or it was the only show that had a cast of women all over 50 years of age. And it wasn't like there wasn't any other like main stars of the show. It was just them. Um, which that's Meryl, a big, big deal. Yes. I was going to say Meryl Streep had a pretty cool interview. Um, she might have had more than one, but I'm familiar with one with uh, Graham Norton where she was talking about the kinds of scripts that she got when she hit 40. And other actresses have talked about this too. And Hollywood definitely has this, well, the film industry definitely has this image of women over 40 and they get cast to be witches and that's about it. Witches in like or the villain. months. Yeah. So, well, that's the whole thing, but we'll get, we can get into that later. If people are interested in uh, women in horror, because I can talk about that a lot. <laughs> right. And as a side note, I did wa- I did want to bring up because that, in general, that's a that was a big thing that started in the in the nineteen eighties, like Lego's talking about, where it was the same. It, men had a little bit of an easier time than women did in terms of aging on screen, but really up until the 1980s in general, you just didn't see like actors and actresses, they kind of got to a certain age and they just didn't get cast and stuff anymore. But Lego's totally right. Especially with women, they hit a certain age and it was like, well, you're either going to be the wicked witch that lives next door or some, you know, something like that. So. Yes. But also um, some of the things other people are mentioning are pretty cool. Um, yeah, like Betty White was just an all around great person. She definitely stood up for a lot of other minority groups, uh, animals for sure. She's so famous for that. Also, I wanted to mention Estelle Getty was very famous for being really, really outspoken about LGBTQ rights back in the days of the Golden Girls in the 80s, which is really, really cool. The Golden Girls is just like such a show ahead of its time, which, and I, I absolutely love that show. But, um, you know, with that, I think it'd be interesting to mention uh, this woman, Charlotte Sue Brown, uh, was an American television producer, writer, director, showrunner. Um, And I think she was the first ever woman to be a showrunner. And she she worked on the Mary Mary Tyler Moore show. So that is pretty cool. Um, I I get I like that show. I never actually watched that one. I'm not Good. sure. Yeah, see, I actually, it's funny because I, I know Betty White from 
a lot of other shows. I never really watched a lot of the Golden Girls. I've probably seen like 10 episodes of it, but I'd seen her on a lot of other things. And then the Rue, how do you say her last name? The actress, she was on one of the Golden Blanche? Girls. Rue. Yeah, the actress that played Blanche. She was on the show Mama's Family. That was my favorite show when I was a kid. I watched reruns of Mama's Family. That was a look. If you've ever watched Mama's Family, let me know in the chat. That was like the best. But yeah. It's so strange, Rob. It's so strange. Let's see if I can find a thingy. Um, I mean, there are, like, I think, a lot of, like, really fun um, shows that are headed by women. Um, so I kind of wanted to name just a few. I mean, obviously, Tina Fey, of course. She's, she's my favorite. Hands down. Now. Oh, my God. Um, Amy Sherman Palladino, I love, who's the creator of Gilmore Girls and The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Then we have Liz Merriweather, who did New Girl. I love New Girl. <laughs> um, Shonda Rhimes, oh my God, like Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Private practice. Super important. Um, Mindy Kaling, who did, I don't think I pronounced her name correctly. I'm I, sorry. No, that's, that's right. Yeah, she was on mm -hmm. The Office. Mm -hmm. She's in the office and she did the Mindy project and now she's doing the sex lives of college girls, which I watched and actually really like it's getting a second season. You can find it on HBO max. <laughs> Not sponsored. Um, Jen Cohen. Yep. Oh, we created weeds. Weeds and orange is a new black. Yep. Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor who did girls. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. What do you think about Lena Dunham? I've never watched Girls. Oh, okay. So I don't have an opinion. Marlene King, who does Pretty Little Liars and all those spinoff shows. She's a terrible showrunner. She's like the Robert Aguirre Acosta. Just awful. <laughs> awful. I will awful. say, if, if anybody takes anything away from tonight's show, it's that you're going to leave here going, oh, yeah, a woman made that or a girl, you know, did this or, you know, getting it out there getting out the information. So I'm, I'm also going to try and talk less because when I say things, I don't mean them to come off as derogatory or sexist, but they usually do. So <laughs> truth ambassador truth. That's the first time I saw Betty white. And even if that was the only thing she'd ever done, I would say she's amazing. Like that's how amazing she is. Like a one single performance is just so sounding and memorable. Yes, yes, yes. And I thought we should probably talk about other like female directors and like movies you might not know are made by women or um, you might not remember or not as well seen. Um, like we all know Catherine Bigelow, but do you know the vampire film to <laughs> attempted to compete with the likes of The Lost Boys and Friday Night and did not at all. Near Dark, very fun film. Um, we have the aforementioned A Girl Walks Home Alone by Anna Lily Amapur. Very great. Jennifer's Body by Catherine Kasuma. Uh, the Love Witch, which I recently watched, and it's so good. It was made on film, so it's not digital. It's made on film, and it's made to look like a 70s kind of sexploitation movie, uh, kind of in like the vein of a... Mm, kind of in the vein of like the Satanic Rites of Dracula or, you know, a movie like that. 
kind of an eyes wide shut. I know it's nineties, but it, it kind of had those vibes, but yeah, it is yeah. really, really great. It was directed by Anna, Anna Bilner, the movie, like the set design and it, it's stunning. It's just, it, it feels straight out of the seventies. We have a lot of really great movies now that have like an eighties vibe and aesthetic to them. You don't see a lot with the seventies vibe and aesthetic, but this one just knocked it out of the park. So, so, so good. This one's probably, um, a lot more popular, but like the Virgin Suicides by Sofia Coppola. Um, Fresh, the movie with Sebastian Chan that came out on Hulu. It was directed by a woman, Mimi Cave. I didn't know um, that. I love that movie. Oh man, that it was is great. so good. Um, I don't think I Spend in Your Grave was directed by a woman, Jimmy. Um, Promising Young Woman was Emerald Fennel. Um, Censor was a really is a really really great movie. It's about video nasties in uh, England in the 1980s. I totally recommend it. You yeah. can find it on Hulu right now. What? What's a video nasty? So in the 80s, do you know what Satanic Panic is? Uh, Never mind, not important. So in the 1980s, what's Satanic um, Panic? Is that a movie? Well, We'll come back around. No, no, <laughs> it's not a movie. Uh, there are movies about it. Um, in the 1980s, um, England had a board. And what would happen was a movie would uh, be made and they would want to release it in the UK. Well, it's not just England, it's the UK in general. And this this board was a censor board and they decided whether or not the movie would be able to legally be released in the UK or not. And oh, wow. certain movies, especially like if you look it up, oh my God, they did not like Giallo films. <laughs> They let like no Italian horror movie in at all, <laughs> but there were a lot of movies they didn't let in because they were considered to be like gratuitously violent or stuff like that. Is it still um, that way? What? Is it still that way? No, 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 oh. not at all. Um, I think you know. I mean, there are still countries That's that have like. Where I heard it before. I knew that. I knew. I knew. I heard that title before. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, AJ. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Well, there are, you know, countries that still have censors, like, um, like, um, Russia and China, you probably heard of like movies not being allowed to be released. Right. Well, cause there. they're so that's, like, what know, this terrible was. dictatorships and shit, but yeah. But I mean, this wasn't a terrible dictatorship, but that's kind of what no. this was back in the eighties in the UK. Right. Um, but anyway, censor is a movie that's kind of about that and about this woman who is looking for her missing sister. And she's on the board of, of people who decide what movies can and cannot be released into the UK and she starts to like, uh, she becomes kind of obsessive about how women are treated in movies and how that is kind of a reflection of real life, um, particularly like horror movies and, and violence that is aimed against them. It's a really, really great film directed by Prano Bailey Bond. Totally recommend it. You can find it on Hulu right now. Really, really, Spencer, really, really good. S-E-N-S-O-R or C-E-N-S-O-R? How do you spell that? C-E-N-S-O-R. Okay, I just wrote Sensor, Hulu, Ask Lego. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have Misty Talley. She directed Santa Jaws, Zombie Shark, Ozark Sharks, and Mississippi River Sharks. I'm not sure if you can tell she likes sharks, but uh, if you think I do, she likes some more. We got to get you two to meet up. You guys would probably have have a lot to talk about. Um, some movies, I this movie, I mean, I don't know how you don't love Clueless. Clueless is amazing. But um, Amy Heckerlin directed Clueless, Fast Times at Regiment High, Look Who's Talking. Um, Mary Heron directed American Psycho. I mean, a lot of not a lot of people might not know that American Psycho was directed by a woman. An early horror director is, and one of the only Asian female horror directors that I know is um, 
Jackie Kong, who directed Blood Diner and The Being. Those are pretty fun movies. Mary Lambert directed Pet Cemetery, the original, not the remake. I also saw um, the remake. Was the original better? Arguable. I think the you know I think the original is way better. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Original is way better. Um, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, was directed by Fran Rubel Kazui. I did not say that right at all. What? With Christy Swanson. Yep. I've seen the movie. Um, I've never seen the TV show. Um, also, I want to say Audition was made by a woman, and I didn't know that, and that was awesome. <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre is made by a woman. The remake of Suspiria is made by a woman. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare is made by a woman. There are a lot of really, really great, you know, female directors. Just some others to mention. I already did Bryce Dallas Howard, Ava DuVernay, Patty Jenkins, Greta Gerwig, so on. A lot of really great ones, but the this is give some love. And shout outs to some fun movies and such. Right. Yay. And Kathleen Kennedy, who... Well, out. she's not a director. She's a producer. Producer, producer. But she's responsible for helping. I mean, she is a co-founder. Funded, including she was an EP on this on this movie. Okay, so she is a co-founder of Amblin Entertainment. So every movie that says brought to you by Steven Spielberg is also brought to you by Kathleen Kennedy. And it, did you want to talk about this, Rob? Uh, well, you know more about it than I do, but yes, Lucille Ball's company, Desi Lou, uh, got Star Trek made, the OG. So, for all you, uh, is that right? That's right. For all you Trek, Trekkie heads out there, you can thank Lucille Ball. Okay. Trekkie head? Trekkie heads? Okay. It's fine. Trekkie heads. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. It's great. Awesome. Trekkie heads. Trekkie Yes, Jeremy. Yes. So one of my favorite movies, right. Poltergeist, I think Steven Spielberg um, actually had her dictate the script while he was working on one of the Indiana Jones movies. I love Poltergeist, and I think that's really cool. That's what I need to get is somebody to just sit here with a typewriter and I just kind of talk. And they just... That's what you mean by dictate, right? Yes, that is what dictate means. Um, I prefer Trekkie, Jimmy, but Trekker is fine. <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole Trek war out there. It's and, a, uh, it's rough, rough. I'm more into the, more into the, the Star Wars. I mean, we all know how I feel about Back to the Future. Yes, yeah. So she, she was instrumental again. Anything Amblin Entertainment up until you know she started working at. Right. Lucas, Lucas and again, for as much as I sh I like to shit on Kathleen Kennedy because I don't think she has any business running Lucasfilm, uh, she has done. Don't agree. Think that, Rob? No, because that's what I believe. But um, you know, she's done great work on so many other things. So mm -hmm. it'd be better if Dave Filoni ran it and John Favreau. But that's just me. And it's not because they're men. It's just because I think they know Star Wars better. So, uh, all right, let's just move on. Okay. What would you like to cover next? Where are we in this? Uh, what PowerPoint are we on? Gerar. Well, I think. Oh, Mary Pickford. You know, let's talk about Mary Pickford. Okay. 
I was going to say something else, but that's oh, fine. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Cut me off. No, no. United Artists. She's the yeah. only woman in this picture. But Charlie Chaplin, uh, uh, D.W. Griffith, and Douglas Fairbanks. She was one of the first women, one, woman, women to run a studio. I can language. She was one of 36 co-founders of the American, uh, of the, no, Academy of Motion Pictures. She founded United Artists, which was kind of one of the small, big studios in the and early what, days. Yeah, what's important about United Artists is that and for a very long time as well. Um, they were kind of like, man, like if you were somebody that's like, I want to make a film, like a, you want to make like a, like an art piece. It's not too like necessarily like, you know, out there, but it's not mainstream either. It, it was more, it was more a company for filmmakers that had like a real artistic vision and they knew exactly what they wanted to do and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. Yes, she co-founded two different studios. And like I said, she was one of the founders, one of 36 founders of the Academy of Motion Pictures. Um, she also created what is known as the Hollywood um, Studio Club, which this kind of goes back to what we're talking about, like the dark, like the dark days of early Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of those early scandals, particularly like with Fatty Arbuckle. Um, so they just wanted to try to make a safe space for women. So back in these days, there would be, this would have been um, the 1920s and into the 1960s. There were dormitories that women could live in that were women only. And so she created one that was specifically for women in the film industry. And there would be like a chaperone, kind of like a college dormitory that's like just for women. Um, but yeah, so it was just kind of an area where people could be more safe. And a lot of people you've probably heard of um, lived in it, like Barbara Eden, who <laughs> I dream of Jeannie. Oh my God, I love that show so fine. much. Um, Kim Novak, Marilyn Monroe, Donna Reed, um, uh, uh, Sharon Tate, like a lot of very, very famous women lived in it. Have you ever seen Valley of the Dolls? It's on my watch list. Is it? It's is good. It on, is it on in streaming? Um, because I was saying for Hollywoodland, it's on my watch list, but I don't know if it's on. Me and, me and my dad saw Hollywoodland in the theater. It was pretty good. That's the one about Ben Affleck plays George Reeves. Jimmy, yep. correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that was a good That's movie. I haven't seen about. it since it came out. But um, Valley of the Dolls. That you, you definitely your kind of movie to watch. I don't know. If yeah, you would like, like I said, it's on my watch list. It's just you know. Yeah, I, I either watched it on Turner Classic Movies or Netflix because that's all I would have had at the time when I when I watched the movie. It was like 2010. But yeah. Sorry. Go no, ahead. I, I keep I keep fucking with your 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 flowing and then I keep fucking with it. I'm like um, I'm like the dam to your river. So I kind of wanted to bring up something earlier what you're saying with uh, Dave Filoni and uh, Favreau running it um, and kind of back to the celluloid ceiling. It is difficult for women to break in and get a chance and an opportunity. So there could totally be a woman who would be the most capable and best person to run Star Trek, but they aren't given the chance because they have a vagina. <laughs> And a way to combat this, so I'm going to quote the celluloid ceiling, um, 
And just, I just want to like in, in bold, italicize 75 font underlined three times exclamation point representation matters. Okay. Um, breaking down denial, publicizing the success, defeating the preconceptions that women cannot direct all will help change the landscape of women film directors. Um, not all films directed by women can be successful, but women should get the chance to fail just as men have that chance to learn from their mistakes, to experience, uh, experience what doesn't work and make it work the next time. It's oftentimes a woman uh, only directs one big movie and that's it. And if they fail, they fail. Whereas men tend to fail up. Oh, yeah. I guess I should specify, like, generally speaking, like, white men fail up. Um, and I'm not... That's also fair. In this conversation, I haven't Straight really gotten... fail up. What? Straight white men. Preferably, you know, Christian. It's I a joke. Say, I'm honestly, just... I'm, in I'm playing into the stereotype. In, in terms of Hollywood, like, uh, gay white men fail up, too. Yeah. Generally speaking. Mm, yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe not necessarily actors, but directors, like... Like Joel Schumacher is a prime example, and he's not just one. There, there are a lot. Um, Gus Van Sant. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah there are a lot of like gay know. white actor or gay white directors who yeah. you know, have failures and keep going up. Um, actors sometimes don't get that, don't get that, which is unfortunate, and that's because they're more public facing, um, and oftentimes they get typecast. Uh, there, there are plenty of queer actors who said, you know, when I came out, I didn't get to play the types of roles that I got to play before I came out, and it ruined my career. Really? And that's super unfortunate. Mm -hmm. wow. But then there's there's actors like um, Neil, Patrick, Neil Patrick Harris, which hasn't really affected his roles at all, I would say. Or not visibly, maybe. Like, is it you know, still going like, now, or was this more like back in the day sort of? No, it's still now. It's like a recent, you know, thing I was reading about this one particular guy. Oh God, he's a British director, uh, British actor. I can't remember his name. I think he was in. Um, he's in an Italian film I really like called Della Morte Della More. It's pretty cool. Okay. But I can't remember his name. <laughs> you know, you got to give appreciation to Gus Van Sant. Anyway. Gus Van Sant, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I will, I will also say in terms of like indie films, like women, films directed by women are more likely to get like success at like, they're more likely to be stuff that you're going to see in like Sundance. They're like smaller films over like big blockbusters because usually, like I said, women aren't given like big budget movies. However, um, when they, they were doing a study, um, there, there's a website, the celluloid ceiling that's dedicated to like looking at female directors and stuff like this. And it shows that, um, when women, men and women are given the same budget, generally speaking, that movie does about the same in the box office. So men, men making a film isn't going to be more successful or less successful than a woman making a film is about the same. So risk aversion my ass. I think Diane Keaton, Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, those adults, that might be like my top three favorite actresses. See, I, you know, I specifically I wanted, I wanted said, Rob, 
I specifically said I didn't want to be a, there to be competitions between women in this. And then what does Rob do? He doesn't listen. Shame. Shame. Why don't you tell everybody about your cool coffee maker? Lucille Ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a little off topic, but I'm always happy to talk. Well, it's about not really off topic. Lucille Ball is an integral figure in terms of women in, in Hollywood. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm uploading a picture. And while it's uploading, we'll sidestep this back into um, women directors. Um, I thought I'd mention like the top highest grossing films directed by women are Frozen yeah. 2. Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Frozen, Shrek, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeak. Well, I'm ashamed people paid so much to watch that movie. I liked the first one. Uh, Twilight. Oh, Kat, I forgot to mention Catherine Hardwick. I, I really like her as a director. Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, Black I know Widow. who directed that. Elizabeth Banks. Mm -hmm. God, that movie was terrible. Black Widow and What Women Want. Uh, Nancy Myers. Is that who uh -huh. directed what I don't like most of these movies. I don't I don't like but, but it's also well, I'll come back to it. Rom coms or tentpole films. That's well, actually I'll talk about it now. Um of the movies that women get to direct, this falls into a certain genre. And that's not necessarily because women want to direct those movies. That's because those are the movies women are given to direct. Movies that come um, out around Valentine's Day. If you look at, if you break it down by genre and of the directors, there are, um, I'll go back up to this, 18% in the DGA. Um, if you break it down by genre, that doesn't break down evenly. Women tend to get rom-coms. They like, so I've said I'm more into horror. So women rarely get to direct horror, which should be where women get to direct because I, I think horror is simultaneously the most and the least misogynist genre um, for all the most beautiful reasons. I can get yeah. into in a few moments, but I will slander it. Apparently Rob will slander it too. Oh my God, we actually agree on something, bud. Wow. Wow, yeah, fuck Pitch Perfect. Exactly. That auto-tuned, auto shallow bullshit. I'll go get my guitar right now and write a better, write, write a song better than any of the songs in those movies. Sorry, go ahead. We love you, but though, anyway, Kim. So, I will say, this is my new newest coffee maker. Aww. I called her Lucille Ball. I love her. Um, but I also have to get a new side table because now I don't have enough room on my coffee table. I'll build you one. Work in progress. Oh my god! I was thinking about seeing if I could hire a carpenter. That's that's no, too, no, do not that's hire. Too far. I'll build it. I'll just I'll ship it to you. It's just too. It's no, too we'll, far. We'll it's too much. It. You're not. You don't need to hire a carpenter. Fuck. I'll just. I'll come to you for a weekend. I'll build you something. We'll no, it's cut, not. We'll cut down a tree and build it ourselves. The cup uh, song is hella cute though. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, if you think it's cute, then you think it's cute, and I respect that, AJ. I, I, I hate it. How big of a do you want to build? We'll, well yeah. Okay, so now I'd like to move into awards. Yay! So, and the winner goes to 
La La Land. Nope. Fuck. Moonlight. Rob, do you know how many women have been nominated for an Academy Award for directing? Eight. Well, some are between seven and nine. I was very confused because it seemed like they well, did. Eight total count nominations, the but it's not eight women. It's like six women. Five. Do women. they not count the winners? Because if you count the winners, it's pull, nine. Pull your you stats up because I, I may have cheated because I know what the audience doesn't know yet. But anyway, two women have won. Right. And seven others have been nominated. So the two women who have won were Catherine Bigelow for and zero Chloe Zhao. No, for the Hurt Locker. Which, which, I don't which, care. Which, I, I zero, honestly zero don't like Catherine Bigelow. Was at the Academy <laughs> Awards. And I'm convinced it's because, because all the, all the Oscar, Oscar people, people didn't want to let a movie let win a that was about Americans, Americans killing Osama bin Laden. Okay, so that's like the exact opposite of what the Academy does. Anyhow, um, Barbara Streisand is, I think to this day, she was the first one for sure to win a Golden Globe uh, for directing. And I think to this day, she's the only woman to have won a Golden Globe for directing. Or so the only internet told me. So those are the three women who, women who have won something for directing. AJ, you might be the like. This is gonna this is gonna make me sound like Grandpa Rob again, but uh, you might be the first person I know my age that has seen Awakenings. That is a phenomenal movie with Robin with, Williams uh, and Niro Robert De Niro. And yeah. Oh, have really? you seen it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So many times I'll be talking to people about great performances, and I talk about Awakenings, and they're like, "What are you talking about? Great movie." I. Cannot I can't actually put into words how much I hate Power of the Dog. I hate it. Ten hate it. out of ten. Zero out of ten. <gasps> Zero out of ten. Fuck that movie. Fuck it. Up the horse's ass. I haven't tweeted out. By the way, I'm gonna plug something real quick. Uh shout out. We just brought up our, our friend AJ's comment. Shout out to the show, uh What the Show. You guys can go to youtube.com backslash what the show. I think that's the link. If not, AJ just put it in the chat. Um, they do great stuff over there, and they're running an Oscar ballot contest right now. So I actually just filled mine out. But the reason I haven't tweeted it is because I'm afraid Lego's going to just rip on me because I got Power of the Dog winning everything it's nominated for. <laughs> I just, fuck that movie. I couldn't even finish it. I hate it so, so much. I know. I know. It's, it's going to be all right. They'll make a better movie this year that we'll all love. Thank you, Jay. Thematically, should you like it? It's. I read someone's review of it. And I think I said it's a slow-moving uh, cringe fest that hints at pedophilia about a self-loathing gay man where he dies in the end. So it's a barrier gay. I don't think you should like that. Fuck that movie. If it came out like on the heels of Brokeback Mountain, okay, maybe. But in 2022, you don't fucking need a movie. Sorry, 2021. You don't need a fucking movie like that. It's regressive. It's reductive. And honestly, I think it's anti-LGBTQ. Like, I get the toxic masculinity thing, but the entire fucking movie could have been made about toxic masculinity without any queer characters, and it would have been substantially better. But with them, it is fucking insulting. Fuck that movie. And you know what? It's a queer movie made for straight people to feel good about themselves. 
fuck that movie and fuck movies like that and fuck people for making movies like that today and fuck that too actually you know what no it, well this has never panned out this way i'd rather put her back on screen so but yeah I, I mean, I get it. I, I'm I'm an aggressively straight white man, so I understand why, you know, the power of the dog's probably marketed for somebody like myself to go, oh, gay cowboy. Okay, cool. Well, I think I just broke Lego. I hate I hate it when that happens. So, I'm uh, prepared for this. Yep. So, we're just going to talk about, let's see, I'll pick up. I'm gonna pick up on the PDF file over here. Oh, um, where, what are you gonna pick up on? I was gonna talk about Deborah Hill, but okay, I, I'm happy Hill? to talk. Happy to talk Halloween. Hey, right, so, anybody? anybody so Deborah Hill, Halloween? um, dude, she was amazing. Uh, produced and wrote Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York. Man, these are some bangers. I didn't. Know I really like that you just read what I wrote on. The- <laughs> On my PowerPoint, I made a PowerPoint. I, I, I made a 34 slide PowerPoint. I wrote Deborah Hill, dude, she's amazing. You guys want you guys want to know about you know talking about you know Lego here. Lego here deserves to be in the conversation with all these other great people. So, oh my goodness gracious. Well, it's a. It's, um, I'm honest. Go you ahead. know what, Leonard Kim. I will take Pitch Perfect over Power of the Dog. You're right. Oh. Absolutely correct. All right, De- okay. Deborah Hill, go ahead, Lego. Deborah Hill. She um, was a producer and writer for Halloween, or just a lot of movies with um, John Carpenter. Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, Halloween 2, and Escape from L.A. She started working um, with him uh, in a partnership with in him in uh, Precinct, Assault on Precinct 15. Um, yeah, super fun movies. I love John Carpenter. He's my favorite director. And, I mean, Deborah Hill is responsible for some things that I love. Absolutely. She also was just a producer on a whole bunch of other movies, such as Halloween 3, Clue. She produced Clue, Adventures in Babysitting, which honestly, I really love that movie. And uh, uh, like a lot of other lesser known movies. Oh, Big Top Pee Wee. Is that the one where his bicycle gets stolen? That movie freaked me out when I was a kid. I don't know. I never watched Pee Wee Herman, but um, I think Deborah Hill is awesome. Uh, and especially now you've named all these other movies. I know she worked with uh, Carpenter stuff, but I didn't know about some of the other ones. Um, like the Dead Zone and Adventures of Babysitting, uh, Pee Wee. That's really cool. Oh, she worked on The Fisher King. That was a good movie. I don't know what that is. It's where Robin Williams. That was good. Um, oh, and World Trade Center. That was a good movie. I don't know that one. Starring Nicolas Cage. So, another reason to watch it. By the way, me and Lego are up to three movies we've got to watch Clue, uh, the one about the vampire teenagers that's not Twilight. Lost Boys. Lost Boys and very different from Twilight. Empire Records we're supposed to watch together. So, oh my God, Rex Manning Day. I quote, I quote Empire Records so much. I think in terms of like quotability, I feel like 
Princess Bride, Distant Second, Empire Records. Like, I, I, I quote, Clue is pretty quotable as well. But uh, there's this quote in Empire Records with the dude from Dazed and Confused where he says, who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. I say that all the time. <laughs> movie is so great. Indeed. Those are quotable films. I really hate that you did that. I, know. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you want to do? I don't know what that's on any streaming ones, though. I think The Lost Boy still is. But I think we should. This is what I tell people. I'm technologically like I, you know, Rob, I know cool we'll people have record players now, but like Rob listens to a record player because I can't figure out how to work certain other things. So, you know, if anybody's got any suggestions, we'll we'll do it. As long as Lego. What's with the day today? Yes. What's Such... with the date? I don't know. So fun. <laughs> what was his name? I don't think his name's. Was it Rex? No, Rex Manning. What was his name? Kyle? I don't think his name's Kyle. It's not Kyle. His I'm name's so probably Rob. It definitely wasn't Rob. Uh, Axel. I don't think his name's Axel. Do you think his name's Axel? I don't think his name's Axel. Is his name Axel? Could be. <laughs> so fun. That movie is so, so, so fun. Um, so, I guess, does anyone? Lucas. Yes. God, I am so bad with names. That is a sadness. Ambassador, I don't got showtime. Don't look like I'm made of money. This is my piggy bank shark. Do you hear its emptiness? Oh my Nothing. god. I almost I almost like cried a little. Holy fuck. I like we need to start the Lego fund. And I know I don't I, want I don't know showtime. Get, I don't know if John get Ben's been here tonight or not, but he sent he's him and I think both the Johns have sent me some some stream stream labs donations and they always put uh, I think it's John Get Bent. Always puts uh, send me like four dollars, and they'll go like, "I'll have make sure part of this goes to the Lego Coffee Fund." I mean, honestly, but I do for those of you watching, coffee. like when when me and Lego like finally like get together and like meet up in you know in physical physical form or whatever, uh, you know, I'll I got new coffee. I'll cups take her out to a real nice coffee. steak dinner or something and make up for the donations. Oh, well, you don't eat steak. What would you eat? Like, if I took you out to dinner, what would you want to eat? Like, what kind of... So, there's this restaurant I went to for okay. my birthday. And they don't have, like, great food food. They're more well-known for their desserts. And, like, most people on my birthday, like, I'm just here for pie. But they lost their baker, like, their main baker. So, they didn't have any pie. So, all they had was cake. But this place is well-known for, like, their cake slices are, like, that. Like, they're, like, huge. They're, like, the size of your face. Um, so when you get like a piece of cake, it's like a piece of cake for two, <laughs> but I got like, I got like four pieces of cake. Hell yeah, you did. And they were huge. And it took me all week to eat them. And it was just very good. The cake is good. Like I said, I got the hummingbird. I've still never had hummingbird cake. Theirs isn't the best I've had. I think the best I've had, there used to be this like local grocery store. They weren't like a chain. They just, they were just here, but, um, they closed down, I guess because of the, the Rona, I assume. The Rona, yeah. I'm not sure. Like when I moved back, they were already closed. So I, I just assume it was the Rona. Um, but they had, they would make cake and they also made pizza. And 
tiramisu. They had like a bakery and like a like a place for like hot foods and well, stuff. Gonna, like Whole if Foods. We're getting, if we're gonna go out and get pizza, you gotta come here because I'm we're like I'm not eating. Oh, I don't really eat pizza, pizza though. Oh, okay. What yeah. do you eat? Like what kind of? So you still didn't answer my question because you don't eat meat. But I'm not taking you out for cake oh, on Wednesday I, afternoon. I eat chicken sometimes. And honestly, this week I'm buying some chicken because I wanted my uh, homeowner. She made this like like uh, Spanish rice, and but she made the chicken in the Spanish rice. God, it was so good. All right. So like I tap danced over to her room and I'm like, you should make that again. Because <laughs> I don't know how she made it. It was delicious. Um, but I, I like, I usually go to like, I usually go to like, um, it's not Chipotle, it's a local place, but it's like a, a place where you can get like burritos. Cause I fucking love burritos. I usually get tacos too, but I, I prefer a burrito. Okay. All right. Back on subject. Oh dude, sushi. Oh my God. Yeah, when I go out, I usually go to the sushi buffet. Oh my, oh Lord. Oh heaven. Oh my God! You I just like sushi. you just kind of like took my heart right there. You just said the word buffet, <laughs> which I mean I might cry a little, you know. Like let's go. Do you like sushi or just like buffets? Is it well? I like both. So is it just sushi or do they have like other like? Japanese I mean, most sushi, sushi places have like other stuff. They got, like, um, rice we, it's kind stuff. of geared more towards like seafoody stuff, but oh, I love seafood. Let's go. So it's not El Pollo Loco. It's just, it's a local restaurant in Georgia. I think there's actually three of them, but they're all, all in the same, like 50 miles of each other. So John, interestingly enough, uh, for those of you that, that know me, but might not necessarily know everything about me. Um, now granted I was out of town. I was with my family in Indiana last week and I did eat bacon for breakfast two days in a row, regular bacon. But I stopped eating regular bacon about three years ago and switched to low sodium turkey bacon so much better for me. Um, and I try to only eat beef twice a month. And yes, that includes hamburgers. Sometimes I have it three times a month, but you know, Hey, we're all going to die eventually anyway. So may I go on a slight rant? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Can I just say, so I don't eat red meat. Like I, the only eat I eat is fish and chicken, maybe turkey. But like, that's it. So pol some poultry, not a lot, and fish. And I don't eat it that often, very rarely. Okay. So every once in a while, uh, I'll be honest, usually when I'm feeling like all fainty and wafty and like I'm going to pass away from the terror and the horror of living. Um, Cause you know, sometimes you just need extra protein. Being dramatic, she's not being serious because these are the things- No, I'm really being serious. Oh, it's called having a menstrual cycle. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, your face. I'm going solo. Fuck you, Rob. Jesus, you child. Okay, maybe you should watch Turning Red. I hate that movie. Well, I don't hate it. I didn't like that movie, but I feel like it would help you. Or Ginger Snaps. Okay, Ginger Snaps is better. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I, I, people are so rude. Like, I generally don't bring up my diet that often unless it's like on the topic. And even then, I don't make a big thing of it. I just, oh, I, you know, I don't eat meat. So I would prefer to eat something without it. Let me look at a menu for a few minutes to see like what's edible. But that's because I've my whole life had uh, digestive problems. I literally can't eat red meat or I'll be on the ground in pain and feeling sick. And who wants that? 
No one wants that. No meat is worth that. But the people's propensity towards making you feel like you should defend your choice to not eat meat. I'm sorry. No, fuck you. Other way around. I'm not, I actually am. It, I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong to eat meat, but of those two things, eating cow is the worst thing. So you should be the one defending why you're eating it. If And I've heard people like, it's for protein. No, it's not. You're dumb. And that's not your fault. You had a bad education. But rethink it. Dude, just say, I eat it because I like it. Cool. I don't because I don't. And it's not that hard. And you don't need to like come for people because they don't. It's just, it's annoying. You should defend your bad choice. People making the right decisions that are, you know, benefiting, even if it's not in grand scale, but are doing the better of the two things. Danny, it's not a competition. I can just like them both. <laughs> but, you know, if, when someone's doing the more ethically right thing, they're not the ones who need to defend their decision. So just re rethink life, bro. Fucking dude bros. Are you making a joke? Because I'm not no, sure. No, I, I, I think I know AJ well enough. I think he's serious. And I think Rob needs to watch both of these movies. And then we need to invite our friend AJ on here sometime. And we'll we'll do a show on those two. We'll talk about those movies. And why you don't like them. So, oh, I love Ginger Snaps. Turning red, I just, I don't know. When you're ever, do you ever like have a situation where everyone's like, I relate to this. I relate to this. This is you. Well, I should relate relatable. to both because I'm a ginger and I do turn red sometimes. So, <laughs> but when you everyone is saying this is universally relatable, this is universally relatable, this is universally relatable. Like everyone's fucking saying this. Everyone can relate to this. And I'm sitting like here. Football. Yeah, I, I don't like football. Don't, but everybody I, gives me a hard time because I don't like football. That, I, does everyone like football. say this is universally relatable? Right. So when everyone says you should relate to this, you should relate to this, and you don't, it's kind of like. But also, like, I mean, I'm sorry. I'll do it. We are we are talking women in films. She made a very personal movie. You don't need to relate to a movie or a character to like it. That's not necessary. But it is a very interesting. Why are you tap dancing off screen? Oh, okay. I don't know. It looked like you were running away. I want to do a bump of coke. I don't. I don't. What? <laughs> okay. I mean, to each their own, I guess. I'm not judging that one. Um, you know that line but... from Honky Tonk Women, she blew my nose and then she blew my mind. Okay. Never Are you mind. making up words? No, it's from the song Honky Tonk Women by, by the two great songwriters, Jagger and Richards. Okay, making up words. So anyway, when it comes to turning red... I don't like the, I don't think any story is universally relatable, to be honest. But like, I don't even know what, what does universally relatable mean? It means everyone can relate to it. But I don't think there's anything that everyone can relate to. But I think there are a lot of things that people would not relate to with this. I think because I was alive when this movie takes place and I knew girls like this and I actively was not, I mean, I wasn't actively not one of them. I just, as a person, was not one of them. And I actively avoided kids like this at school. 
and because they're fucking annoying little brats like it's not universally relatable first and foremost the people looking at it like i know a lot of men looking at it like this is a an allegory for a specifically a period right that's what a lot of people are looking at it but when i was watching it i mean yes you could absolutely read that but i thought more so thematically this is about a person on the precipice where they're at that age where you know you your family is the most important thing to you and then you hit a certain age and your friends just start becoming more important to you and their opinions and all that kind of stuff becomes more important to you um developmentally that happens for most people but not all people um right. but that's 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 a very common thing and i think more than anything that's what this movie was about it was about that that time where you start to kind of leave your family and become your own person um i, I guess i will say first and foremost if you're telling me and they didn't even say this girl got her period by the way um they were just making references to it but if you're telling me she's 13 and she still had doesn't have her period i hate her and that's straight. That's just because of envy. I, 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 I feel like they kind of aged this character up because they wanted her to be able to have like crushes and like be considered an adult. But first, but no thirteen-year-old is an adult. That's why a thirteen-year-old is a minor. Um, a lot of girls get their periods before they're thirteen, and that doesn't make them. Or a lot of children get their periods before they're thirteen. Are you watching sports right now? Fuck you. So a lot of kids get their periods before they're 13. In fact, I think most, typically it's 12. Uh, so I don't like that they aged her up to have the storyline that they had. I, I just found that was a little annoying. Um, another thing that I found, I just, I think the whole thing with Luca and turning red coming out on the heels of each other really rubbed me the fucking wrong way, considering what they were saying about Luca was in direct opposition to what they put on screen in turning red, which just makes Disney all that more clearly anti-LGBTQ+. Um, I went into a whole big, long 40-minute rant about it. If you, you probably don't want to watch it, but it exists if somebody wants to. Um, but, like, also, listen, getting your period doesn't make you a woman getting your period doesn't make you an adult that's another big reason that i didn't find this universally relatable a lot of kids experience dysmorphia when they get their period because not everyone identifies as a chick so i just didn't like it on that ground and i get they're trying to make a more relatable story for girls. And that's great. And I do think girls need this. And I do like that they were showing a more normalized kind of situation, except they weren't showing a more normalized situation. They were showing an exaggerated situation, which I don't necessarily know is great. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily great. Um, I think when we get more normalized situations in the film, then having exaggerated situations to parody is fine, but we don't have many normalized situations in film or television yet. So having an exaggerated one doesn't necessarily really help anybody. Uh, Disney removed a light year kiss scene until Pixar and the public begged them to put it back in the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I know that Pixar, uh, kind of, some people in Pixar kind of publicly said that Disney higher-ups made them remove any 
allusion to anything LGBTQ or same-sex relationships. Rob is going nuts for some sports thing in backstage, and it's really irking Duke's me. Duke's been trailing Texas Tech this whole Fuck you, Rob. I mean that in a nice way. How dare you? Priorities, you, son. Priorities. <laughs> Again, also, for, for turning red, going back to the family themes, not everybody has a family like that. So when people talk about like growing up, you're really excluding kids who didn't have that kind of family situation, um, which makes them even more lonely. And these kids are generally more vulnerable and prone to depression. So don't talk about shit being universally relatable when there's so many obvious fucking kids who aren't gonna relate to it because you know they're bullied in school because they don't have that kind of family. Rob, if you're not even gonna pay attention, then don't put yourself back on screen. Why? <laughs> Um, and then I didn't make like a Rob EXE has stopped working image and I clearly should have. Um, and then lastly, like kids who experience dysmorphia aren't going to relate to this movie. A lot of kids do, but to say it's universally relatable is so fucking missing so many people. It's missing so many people. And that that's what bothered me is other people's review. I love that people love this movie. If you loved and related to this movie, that's fucking fantastic. But don't say it's universally relatable because it's really, really not. And you're making people feel worse about themselves and their lives when you do so. If that makes sense. I don't know. I, I don't know because like up here, <laughs> thank you. I don't know what a sports ball is, you know, because up here somewhere, Jimmy said something about I have enough enough dislike to go around. <sighs> that makes me seem so negative, And I don't mean to be. But it's just like, I don't know when I see so many times that like, or so often that like, people are really not including uh, others or thinking of others. I just want to make sure that like, the underdogs get heard. And I'm sorry if that makes me seem negative because I don't, because usually I'm really positive. <laughs> I know it doesn't come off that way when I'm, when I'm on the internet, but like, I'm always trying to like put a voice on things that people aren't necessarily going to think of because it relates to other people who don't often get to say things, which brings us back to women making right. film. It women don't often get get to have their their movies this is a quote yeah but like about this is a quote it's about literature but it pertains to film as well because most films are made by men they're produced by men they're written by men and it says a mode of understanding literature film um which can ignore the private lives of half the human race is not incomplete it's distorted through and through and another quote is Culture is so saturated with the male bias that women almost never have a chance to see themselves culturally through their own eyes. But I also think because of that, when we get a movie like Turning Red, that people think this is a woman movie, all women should relate. No, a lot of women can, but not all women. And just because a woman makes it doesn't mean it's a woman's film. I mean, Turning Red kind of is, but like going up to like American Psycho, that's not a woman's film. It's a film that has a female perspective right. because a woman made it. Exactly. And before we continue to talk about women in film, I want to make three points. One, I've never done cocaine, never will. The only drug I've ever done is marijuana, and it's not even really a drug anymore because it's legal most places. Uh, I'm just distracted because Duke made the Sweet 16, which 
Oh, be still my heart, but they are not doing well against Texas Tech tonight, ladies and gentlemen. But hey, you know, if there's anything I know about Coach K, he can really turn the team around in the second half. So prayers, prayers for Ukraine and prayers for Duke, everybody. Let's send Coach K off with a great final season. I don't understand any words you just said. College basketball. So anyway, about uh, what AJ said. Like if I if you know there's some movies that I I just don't like because it's not my interest. You know there are people who just don't like horror movies because they're not a horror movie person. Totally fine, that's great. I always love when people love movies. When people who are attracted to a movie and they're so passionate about it, that's great. Um, generally, if I don't like a movie, usually I just don't talk about it unless there's something specific like Turning Red or Power of the Dog. That's I don't like this for a reason that I think a lot of people are missing, and I think it's important to talk about but for something like for something like power of the dog where it's been weaponized to be uh, talked about in terms of homophobia which is absolutely happening um you know that gets over legitimate well legitimate <laughs> criticisms you know get get drowned out by illegitimate and homophobic criticisms and that kind of sucks did you read of what sam elliott had to say about the film what did you think? Um, uh, he, he, very Western old man. Very like old white man thing to say. Yeah. Kind of thing. He's like, I love Sam Elliott. And I'm like, I understand where he's coming from. I don't agree with him. But I, like, I, I'm like, I know people like that would think the same thing Sam Elliott's thinking. Can yeah. I replace Rob with Ryan? I mean, it's called the Rob Fishback Network, but I feel like I can erase that. <laughs> you you do have control of all this thing. Um, but, so, and also, I want to throw this out there too. Um, you know, over the last like year and a half that I've known Lego, um, she has challenged in a good way a lot of my thought process when it comes to some of the things that I may or may not watch or things that I would have never given a chance just because, you know, we all, we're all kind of somewhat guilty. That's like, I know I probably won't like that movie, so I'm not going to watch it or whatever. And it's like from getting in a Lego so well, it's like, all right, I'll give this, a, I'll give this a chance or I'll give this a chance. And how awesome has that worked out? Cause I've watched dozens of movies. I probably would have still just sat on the back burner of my list and I can sit here and say now, like, fuck, that was a really good movie. I'm so glad I watched it. It might not be, pertain to what we're talking about. They're not necessarily female driven, but just things in general. So it's like, hey, I'm here for it. Go ahead. Um. So thoughts on the Wachowskis. Um, I am not a big fan of the Matrix, but I think that's just because of something that was always on. It's just, I think it's the the pace pacing of the movie it just never drew me in i hate to be one of those like millennials who like i like a fast-paced crazy kind of thing but yeah, i do i'm sorry <laughs> um it, like, or anything animated, with sharks in it she loves sharks that's true um but if it's animated usually i can pay more attention to slow paced stuff but it's a very kind of static film in terms of things that are going on like it doesn't get like really like crazy at any point so it just never really drew me in but um since eight i did watch the speed racer movie <laughs> that was an interesting film but it's been a long time but since eight which they made on uh, uh netflix i loved sense eight about two seasons in a movie and oh man did fans 
hound Netflix to get that movie. And I'm really, really happy they did. Um, I think a lot in the matrix is pretty misunderstood, but in terms of like their vision, I think particular, Oh, I can't remember if it was Lana or Lily, whichever of the two has the pink hair. I'm so sorry. I'm bad with names. I remember what her faces look like. So I think it's Lily. Um, she, I, I appreciate that she has a specific, well, they both do, but specifically with Lily, like has a specific vision that she wants her movies to be. And like, if that comes across in other people, like it cool, but if it doesn't, like she made the movie she set out to make and it makes sense to her. And it is a good, like, it, it is a good movie. And if people don't understand it, like that's fine. But to like, I, it kind of bothers me when people are like, oh, it's a mess. I'm like, no, this, this clearly makes sense to this person. And this isn't like, I've seen movies that are a mess. <laughs> Their movies and show, at least one show, I don't know if they've done any other shows, aren't that. But I will say I read, one of the books I read um, was, did I keep? Yes. So one of the books I read was, um, this book on trans cinema and I didn't finish it because I was so sad. This, this book was clearly transphobic when I was reading it. It, it dead named so many people. It kept calling trans men lesbians. I'm like, it, it gave all this room for like turf rhetoric. It's like, why the fuck are you even writing this book? Like, why was this published? It, it was very disconcerting. And there are not a lot of books where people have taken the time to specifically, you know, look at trans cinema. So I was really disheartened by that. But, you know, there is some more in like, in like, um, in like some of like the queer cinema books where they do talk more about um, trans cinema. But it's, there's not a lot. In gender, like in queer, actually I'll talk about that in a minute. I want to get on something else first. Uh, oh, Jimmy already explained it. I was going to answer Joseph's question, but Jimmy already answered it. So anyway, um, I would say it's worth a watch. It's just two seasons and the movie wraps it up really well. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's an interesting story. I don't think I've necessarily ever seen anything like that. And for having such a big cast, I liked all the characters and you really get to know all the characters and you feel for them. And they have, oh, what was it? Hernando and Lito, couple goals. There is no couple goal that is as couple goalie as Lito and Hernando. I love them. Love them all so much. Um, but I kind of just want to talk a little bit about, um, if, I apologize if this is like boring, but like um, feminist film theory. I won't get too too Let's too deep, it. but I'll because this this is can be. If I anybody wants feminism. me, I always vote for feminism. If anybody ever wants to have a feminist film theory talk, I have read a lot of books on the subject, and but it it all started with this woman Laurel Mulvey who published this essay, "Visual Pleasure in Narrative Cinema" in 1973. And, or I'm sorry, she wrote it in 1973. It was published in 75. And this is like the first, like first time we were lo really looking at um, feminist film theory. And this is where the term the male gaze is coined. Um, a lot of people misunderstand what the male gaze is. Um, 
a lot of people think it is just like exploiting women on camera. Um, the go-to would be Megan Fox's character in really any Michael Bay movie, but very specifically the Transformers. That's not all Mike, um, the male gaze is, and I'm gonna quote this. Um, it's three different looks. They're referred to in our hand. Um, and this, the three different looks kind of go around phallocentrism. I'll explain what that is in a second. So the first look refers to the camera as it records the actual events of the film. The second look describes the nearly, nearly voyeuristic act of the audience as it engages in watching the film itself. And lastly, the third look refers to characters that interact with one another through film. Um, it is very much, uh, as, as they said, voyeuristic. Um, Alfred Hitchcock is mainly who she talked about in this essay. But essentially, men make movies. That's what we've been talking about this whole stream. Men make movies. Um, they're, they direct. They're the cinematographers. They're the producers who get like the final cuts. Um, even when you have a woman on screen, it is very much she is being looked at. Men are looking at her on screen, behind the camera, uh, you know, making the movie, writing the movie, watching the movie. The default almost every movie is defaulted for a male audience, even though women make up half the audience members. And that, by the way, has there have been studies that counted who goes to see movies. Women and men see them equally. It's about 50-50. So why that is, I don't know. But I mean, obviously there are certain women's movies, like dramas that are geared towards females, but most movies are geared towards men. So they have this, um, you know, women have to be looked atness, and men are the bearer of the look. So that is what the male gaze is. It's not just sexualizing women on film. Um, and and she also coined the or I think she I don't know she utilized the term scopophilia, which kind of talks about that um, specifically. Um, it's basically voyeurism, but through a camera lens, sort of, basically. Yeah. Um, but in this, she utilized um, psychoanalysis. And if you don't know what that is, um, it's overused and often used incorrectly. Psychoanalysis is very specifically created by Freud and is a Freudian concept. It's not just any kind of psychology. It's Freudian, um, meaning it's outdated and dumb as fuck. I hate Freud so much. Um, so... With Freud, if you don't know anything about Freud, just know the dude was real concentrated on the penis. So that brings us back to phallocentrism. I don't know why early feminists really went hard into Freud's psychoanalysis, but they did. I don't think you can, you can. So feminist via psychoanalysis basically says that men have a psychological compulsion to subjugate women, which just sounds stupid. Like, I've never had a penis, but I just don't think that's true. And the reason they do is because women lack a penis, so that subconsciously makes them afraid they'll be castrated or something. And not physically, um, like emotionally, I guess. Kind of, I mean, the best example would be Hitchcock's movie, Norman Bates' um, character in Psycho. It's a whole thing. That That's a very long conversation. But um, just know, early feminists went very hard into Freud and psychoanalysis, specifically um, phallocentrism. Which is stupid, again, because 
Sociology is right there. I don't think you can explain any form of discrimination through psychology. I mean, there's a psychological aspect to it, but in terms of like a broad societal subjugating an entire group of people, sociology would be the way to go. But if you're not familiar with collegiate writing, how um, how soft and hard scientists work is they build off what came before them. And even if, if, if it's in the positive or the negative, so you can say you have to use Freud now because the original feminist used Freud. Now you can say they were right and here's why psychoanalysis works. Or you can say here they were wrong and this is why psychoanalysis doesn't work. So it takes a long time to kind of change what's been happening. Um, and it's even today, there's not much, they're only beginning really to talk about, you know, feminist film theory in terms of, so with sociological terminology. It's still very focused on psychoanalysis, which is very outdated. Um, it's just dumb. The first, like, and the seminal work in terms of, like, um, feminist film theory for schools would be Barbara Creed's The Monstrous Feminine, Film, Feminism, and Psychoanalysis. I've read some of that, but more of what I read would be her later book, which is Phallic Panic, um, Film Horror, and The Primal Uncanny. Um, Uncanny is another thing about Freud, and you, they mostly focus on Freud and Lucan. Um, but that was published in 1993. There's an earlier book, um, Men, Women, Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. That was published in 1992 by Carol J. Clover. But those are the big works. Those big works came out when I was born. That's how old this shit is. And I might not look it on this camera because I'm really putting a lot of light on my face. So you can't see the wrinkles and the sadness. But I'm old as fuck. Like, th th this should not be that old. And in terms of how women are seen on film, you can kind of track um, what women are allowed to do behind the scenes and very much so on screen by um, the waves of feminism. We're currently on the fourth wave of feminism. And specifically, I think what's interesting is second wave feminism, which kind of began in the 60s and went into the 80s. And was kind of launched because of Betty Friedan's um, book, The Feminine Mystique. It's a very interesting thing. And was kind of when we started getting like the Equal Pay Act in 1963, Civil Rights Act 1964, um, which also included some things about discrimination towards women in school and work and labor and all that stuff. And the FDA approved of uh, the pill in 1961, which was a big deal. Uh, so all those things kind of catapulted like second wave feminism where women were trying to like get more rights, particularly, um, for family do do domesticity. That's a hard thing to say. Um, the workplace, reproductive rights, um, legal inequalities and all these kinds of things. Discourse. We can put it in discord at some point. I can sh sh just show you all the books, but I feel like, I don't know, did like most people not learn about the pill getting okay um so this whole thing we didn't really, really talk about in my house i just, I just you know not at school about the pill maybe i wrote a paper on it on my own foolish well, i think i did because i wrote a I wrote a paper about uh the, in college about the pill um 
being available, which made it so women didn't want to get married as much because prior to that, they really didn't have an option, but also because in terms of work, when you got pregnant, you'd have to quit and you didn't have an option but to get pregnant because the man had to decide like if he wanted to condom up or not. And that was much more frowned upon back then. So women kind of- Well, you were encouraged to make multiple, a lot of children, you know. In religious families, not necessarily outside of that. But anyway, um, uh, women really didn't have a choice but to get married. Like that wasn't an option for them. Like they had to get married so they could, you know, financially survive. Marriages were like, well, I mean, a marriage is a contract, but a marriage was more so back then a financial contract and a financial necessity. Women had to get married. Um, but when the, um, the pill became available, that wasn't as necessary. And at that point, women were fighting more for, like I said, equal pay, which was passed in 1963, and for uh, getting into like, college um, to get their education, which was not as easy to do prior to that for women. And a lot of schools were um, like there were male schools and women's schools and they might have like separate like classes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, there was a whole bunch of stuff like that that just kind of kept women down and suppressed and subjugated, which was the, which is what second wave feminism was fighting. And along that, that wave, um, we get the loosening of the Hayes Code, which Rob and I talked about in a previous video. And both those things combined is when we start seeing exploitation movies rise, specifically things like rape revenge movies. So back then, um, these movies were largely made by men. And a lot of exploitation movies, not even just those, but just a lot of different movies would have sexual assault scenes in them. And I don't think this was a conscious effort, you know, but I think a subconscious effort to kind of put women back in their place. Cause like, if you are a liberated woman, you're going to be murdered. You're going to be assaulted. Um, we see this in, in terms of like Halloween. Is that, is that why like the virgin girl is the, whoever is usually who wins? So Carol- like The ones that are fucking around, they'll get their throat slit. The book, one of the books I mentioned earlier, Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol J. Clover, which came out in 1992. She's actually the person, and this is a book, coined the term the final girl she was the first person to ever use it in 1992 and um she went into a whole big long thing about it again with freud and lacan <sighs> but um you know she had this big question that drove her study which was why did slashers consistently feature female protagonists when the target audience were predominantly male again that's just the target audience and um, she talks about uh, the final girl. She studied films from the 70s and 80s because she wrote the book in 92. So that's what existed. <laughs> um, and she defined the final girl as a female who is a sole survivor of a group of people, usually youths, who are chased by a villain who gets a final conf uh, confrontation with the villain, whether she kills him herself or she is saved last minute by someone else, usually a police officer. A dude and she has the privilege because of her implied moral superiority for example she's the only one who refuses sex drugs and other such behaviors unlike her friends um, um I, there's a lot of uh, conversation about the final girl like she doesn't have sex because the target audience is male but we follow the main character who's female so they don't want her to have sex with a dude because that'll take the dude at watching out of the movie 
Because so they want to have sex with the girl. Yeah. So that's that's a big reason why that happens, um, which I think is interesting. I don't necessarily know if that's true, but I, I think that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, I always kind of looked at it like when you're in a position where you're you're unclosed, like you're in bed with someone or you've just taken a shower, like in Psycho, um, you're more vulnerable. Also, generally, women are seen as being more vulnerable and weaker so it would be easier for a you know serial killer to um you're more afraid for that person you're more concerned for that person when it is a man and this happens in real life like well, there, yeah, um, there's definitely science behind it because it's like for example like I'll be, I'll be frank you know like growing up my mom whenever we'd be like traveling on the road like i never understood why we didn't stop at rest stops you know how they have like those like Federal I've been to so many rest stops. I've been to every single well, rest stop well, from well, LA back. to Seattle. So my mom, she never would, you know, we always go to a gas station in a town or a McDonald's to go pee or whatever. And that was like a big thing. And I, looking back, I understand it. Cause she was teaching more my sisters, not me. Like, don't go to, cause like she was, you're going to get kidnapped or you're going to get taken or something or whatever. And it's like, yeah, if you're, you know, like any of my sisters that are like five, 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 six, 130 pounds. Yeah, but I'm six foot one, 200, 210 pounds. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not coming for me, you know, because I'll snap their fucking neck. But I get it because physically it would be easier to like kidnap a woman than it would be a guy cause, just because of strength and shit. Generally speaking, yeah, that's kind of the reasoning. But also, they no felt like I mean, I'm you know, I, like women, go work out, go lift some, just go lift some ten pounders, that or buy a gun. So many things to say, so many sad, sad things to say. Um, it's just not how anything. Yeah, <laughs> little little victim blamey, Rob. Little victim blamey. See, so I'm learning. I wouldn't have never thought that, but okay, yeah. I thought it was a nice PSA, but okay. No, no, no. I could work out all day, every day. I'm not even 120 pounds wet, Rob. It ain't gonna fucking matter. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> oh my god, that's so good. I, I might use that later. In ways. Um. I don't even know what I was talking about, Rob. Talking about uh, Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, women, people are more likely to empathize with a woman or girl, in some cases, being stalked than they are with men. I mean, even if you look in, like, real-life cases, um, I mean, sometimes people victim, I mean, a lot of times people victim blame women, but in terms of, like, getting mugged, um, police officers are more likely to feel empathy towards a woman who's being mugged than a man. Uh, than a man. I've read, you know, things where... Police officers have asked a guy, like, why didn't you defend yourself? He's like, I was unarmed and the dude had a knife. How the fuck am I supposed to defend myself? But, can, like, shit like can. that is very real. Like, men are supposed to be strong, and people don't necessarily have as much empathy when a man isn't. Um, but there are a lot of movies that are cool, um, and we could talk about this on a different day, um, where uh, men are in the the feminine role in movies. And a lot of feminine horror uh, does that, and I think it's really cool. But I kind of want to talk about this 
it is a guy director, but I think it's pretty interesting. This is actually one of those movies. I think his name is Patrick Bryce. He directed Creep and Creep 2 with um, Mark Duplass. I really like both of these movies. And in, in the movie, um, the director, Patrick Bryce, is uh, a guy, and he's a filmmaker in the movie. It's kind of like a found footage movie. And he takes an ad to go uh, film this guy, and he's filming Mark Duplass's character, who's this crazy fucking guy who's actually a serial killer. And there's so many scenes in the movie where I'm like, yeah, I'm glad they chose a guy to play this role as, as you know, the person being like stalked and victimized because the guy does things no fucking woman would do. Like he hears a noise outside of his house and he goes outside and looks. No fucking chick is going to go outside of her house at night when she hears a noise and look and see what's wrong. That is just not going to happen. But a guy, and he's a, like a tall, like big dude, probably, probably about your size, Rob, like probably doesn't have that same kind of fear. Um, yes, Danny, very true. Uh, Helen's here for all of those of you that are wondering what that loud noise is. I don't think I, I didn't hear oh, you it. You can't hear it? Okay. She's a loud talker. Huh. Sorry. So, I mean, honestly, I can go on this stuff for literal days. Because again, read a lot of fucking shit about it. <laughs> um, but Rob is watching sports, so I think we should end the show. Well, so for those of you, so it's tied up. There's seven and a half. Okay, I kind of want to mention this. Can Wait, you know what? Soapbox. Is it interesting that the first episode where Rob literally doesn't pay attention is the episode about women that he wanted to do? Am I wrong here in saying, Rob, that's not cool? Am I wrong? Two things. One, it's International Women's Month, so... No, no, no. That's what I get to say. Wanted to pander. Uh, number two. Um, no, I did want to do this episode. I'm kidding. But number two, I'm, to be honest with everybody. Is murder wrong? To be honest with, with everybody, nobody knows what the March Madness score or, you know, uh, time frames are going to be for when games are on, you know, based on scheduling and stuff. So even a week ago, I didn't know if Duke was playing tonight or tomorrow. I Literally, 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 seriously. <laughs> it's always, it's always. Enough. Hey, if you're new to this channel, welcome. We're glad to have All you. All right, here. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the game. I'm looking. Hello, my name's Lego. I am very professional. I make powerpoints and I make. Photos, thumbnails, graphs, charts, any kind of numbering. I'm on the look for a uh, co-host position. If anyone knows of anything available, I'm interested. Please call my shark agent. I do like shark movies. And Man, I know a lot about I'm going to lose Lego, and I don't even know if Duke's going to win this game or not. So in retrospect, was it worth it, Rob? The answer is already no. Me taking, a, taking my attention away. But uh, I should go in the bear skin. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> oh, although, okay, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I kind of want to get a shark onesie, but I don't know if that's too much. <laughs> like a, like a, like those PJs that they wear uh -huh. with the hood. 
Yeah. I was thinking about it. Hold on right now. Hold on. Hold on one second. Oh my God. Yes, we have to get you one. I'm looking at them right now. They're like 35 bucks. I know. Like, I don't want to spend 35 bucks on it as a problem. It was like 20, you know? Yeah. But like, I don't know. It's just it's like the distance between 20 and 35 where it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have, I feel like you, 35 you is a little uh, too much for you what have it a PayPal? is. No. Do you have a Venmo? No. Well, you heard it here, kids. Let's uh let's fundraise some uh some shark fit some shark fit money. We'll figure out some sort of an account for Lego, or I can just send it to me and I'll figure out a way to get it to her. Get her so to oh, sum we, up you know what we could do because we have her email address, we can get her uh uh American Express gift card and then we can email it to her. Oh, that's true. Those things exist. That's a smart idea for them, by the way. Like what a genius idea that was. See? Anyway, See, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm I'm here to help you. I'm not Rob. You are great. You're so fun. I don't give you enough credit. I really love your intros. You're a phenomenal musician. I do appreciate you, but don't watch fucking sports when we're doing the show again, please. Oh man, you were saying so many nice things. You were gonna make me cry. I love you so much. Lego the best. Okay, but to sum up, <laughs> um, it is important that we make. Oh, I forgot to mention something. Okay, should I mention it? Yeah. Okay, so there was this thing in the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. I'm going way back to like the first things I said, but I really forgot to mention this and I wanted to because I thought it was really cool. There is these six women, one of whom was Susan Bay Nimoy. And if you think Nimoy, that name sounds familiar and that's because it was Leonard Nimoy, AKA Spock's wife. they created this thing called the Women's Steering Committee. Committee? Committee? Words are hard. Um, the Women's Steering Committee, um, which was a part of the Directors Guild of America. And they basically went around and they carried out this landmark research to show that only 0.5, this is in 1979, 0.5% of directing jobs in film and television, film and television, um, were made by women. And uh, they had a, I want to say they had a um, lawsuit about this, but I think it fell through. But it brought a lot of national attention or, yeah, to, to the fact that women aren't being allowed to make movies in the, in the early 80s. And I think that's really important because, oh, that brings me up to what I was going to sum up. What is important about stuff like that and things like the book I was talking about earlier, Women Make Horror, is showing that women do work behind the scenes because representation matters. You need to show people that women make successful movies, that women can make movies even. Um, visibility matters. I feel like this is a prime example of of. of Marxist feminism, which that's a whole big long other topic. That's interesting. I think I don't know the fact that I say Marxist feminism make me pretentious as fuck. Yes, but I don't know if it's obvious. I read a lot. So yeah, Um, what's important is when you make things visible, like the fact that women direct movies, women are cinematographers for movie, you know, when you say, you know, uh, Catherine Bigelow won 
the Academy Award for Best Director, and you point out she was the first woman to do so. When you point out this person was the first woman to do this, the first woman to do that. I know Daniel was the first black woman to win Best Supporting Actress, or well, to win an Oscar. It's important to point these things out. I know it gets kind of annoying, but when you see that in our even in our lifetimes that there have been first women doing these things um, because other women didn't get a chance because, you know, they were pushed down by society. Um, It's important to make that visible there because then little girls who think I want to do this one day, see that they can, that, you know, there's still a barrier, but when more people try that barrier becomes not as, not as, I can only think of the word thick. That's not the word I'm looking for. It becomes more penetrable. Everything just sounds bad. Penetration. Break through it. You can break through it. Penetration. You can break through it. Why do I talk with words? But I think what Lego's trying to say is, you know, the whole thing of it is that it's like a lot of dudes out there doing shit. And luckily our generation, I think, I think starting with Gen X, but really the millennials doubling down on it. And then Gen Z, like they're a whole nother crazy set of folks, but uh, you know, like that chart you showed earlier that in the last couple of years, it's kind of gone up that there's more women directors and all that sort of stuff. You think about somebody like Sa- Sonda Rhymes. I think I'm pronouncing her name. If right. you go over like multiple years, the you know, she's average... like the Dick Wolf of medical shows. You know, how cool is it? Sorry, what were you gonna say? Over the years, what? I say over the years when you look at um, how many women have directed movies, it changes for year to year, obviously. But on average, um, it's it's four point eight percent of women have directed the any movie in the top 10 highest grossing movies i think or i'm sorry top 100 so yeah women generally yeah i I was i I heard it but i wasn't gonna say it (laughs) i was just gonna let them do it no i i didn't mean to interrupt you You, i i know i did do you know you did i didn't know i did (laughs) I didn't think so. So when you say something like, I think what Lego is trying to say, that's... Mm. Oh, well, because you were like... I, I, thought I you were was. Like, I was messing up. So I, was I, try, was I was trying to like bring it back. You know, I was trying to... But to be clear, I'm kind of an airhead, so I don't mind. <laughs> right. Did anyone learn anything? <laughs> Or have I just been talking about a lot of nonsense for two hours in a very unstructured way? Um, Did I mention I made a PowerPoint? (laughs) Should I just upload the PowerPoint on Discord? Can I do that? I'll just do that. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I'll I'll just do that. Yeah. Just put it in there. You you know you have... Oh, I got to give you access if you wanted to ever upload videos on my YouTube channel. Um, I still have done that but lego has access to everything like the same stuff i have access to so you can do whatever they want that being said there is about three minutes left of this dude game and 
I could spend the next five hours sitting here with Lego and shooting shit with y'all, and that would be great. And I, I enjoy my life. She does those things. But uh, that being said, uh, I need to go finish watching this Duke game because I'm pretty nervous. And uh, I think me and Lego might go on Zoom. Hey, John, get back. glad you joined the chat. We were talking about you earlier when Lego was talking about her coffee coffee maker. I was like, John would always put in the Streamlabs donations. Should I actually good. clip it out? Gift? Absolutely you should. Are you kidding me? That was a great, great review. Everybody loved it. Okay. Helen's upstairs yelling, do it, do it right now. I don't know if that's in context of this or it could be a number of other things. <laughs> but that being said, um, join us. Uh, so we are officially going to be starting our decade series soon. And we do, me and Lego need to get together and talk about the fantastic film trivia league that we got going on. We got some fun stuff coming up with that. Uh, I think our buddy Ryan Payne is going to help us out uh, with some matches coming up. Um, and uh, this, this Saturday we've got discourse here on the channel, uh, Joker and Glenn, and I'm sure some cool guests are going to be on there. Uh, and then I haven't pitched it to Danny yet, but Danny, if you're still watching the show and Monday, you want to talk about the Oscars from Sunday. I think we should do a Renaissance man and talk about the Oscars because it's been a while. Um, but our next episode, can I tell them what our next episode is going to be on? Lego already made the awesome thumbnail. We're going to be talking about Hanna-Barbera. Um, I love Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Big fan. So we got that going on. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Yeah, I watched a whole documentary on Scooby-Doo last week. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think I posted it in Discord. So we got that going on. Um, and then we will be starting our Decades series here on Characters of Culture. Um, it's been raining for like fucking 10 days straight where I'm at. And it ain't going to stop anytime soon. So Rob the Renovator, TBD. There will be an episode out in April at some point. Probably not till like the second week of April because we have not filmed it yet. Because it's weather dependent and... God's fucking with me. So there is that. Uh, read chat, watch sports to do a stream. <laughs> I, I can't. So those are all things that's going on. That and uh, this is YouTube life. Like COVID's, uh, you know, we've been able to open things up enough around here to where Rob can go back to playing gigs. So I'm trying to like pretty rusty with stamina. So Rob's getting back into songwriting and going back to his music life, my music life, which I missed dearly, but uh, also love doing this stuff. Lego, what would you like to talk about? What do you got going on? Me? Um, I don't know. I have a lot of things that are works in progress. So, so TBD. If anyone is interested in watching my Disney Say Gay movie or um, video, it's like 40 minutes, which I know is long. But also, I made a one and a half minute uh, outtake where I, of all of the funny faces I made. Did you upload that? Uh, it's on Unlisted, but I can I can We're in Discord. Yeah. yeah I did the same thing for my Cowboy Bebop. And I think that's honestly my favorite thing now, is making long form videos, but then just clipping out all the ridiculous facial expressions I make. Because I didn't realize I make such funny facial expressions. And maybe I should work on that. But also, I think that's just ingrained in my personality. And can a facial expression be part of your personality? I don't know. I'm spiraling. 
I think it can be. And if you haven't gotten a chance to see yet, Lego's birthday was was last week. I don't know if she wanted me to make that public, but I made her a nice little uh, clip out video of all the times I've been uh, tossed out of this show. So yeah, that's so out there. Funny. You like that? It's great. Okay. That being said, you can find me all over God's green earth at Rob Fishbeck. Got that going. Lego, where can they find you at? Uh, I am available down below at Legoland 13 on YouTube. Everything else is private. But if you want to find me, I might find you back. She might be your friend. If you're really nice, don't piss her off as much as I do. You might, she might be friends with you. So, all right, everybody, stay safe, be well. Hope you guys learned something tonight. If not, there's always next time. Have a good one. Take it easy. Let me play the video.